all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Our goal at Everyday Tech is to keep your technology not only working, but working for you. I'm the host, Abram Nanny, and you can join me and my friends Wednesday mornings at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Or search Everyday Tech on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. morning and thanks for joining me today here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today in the studio is Jonathan Hansis. He's also a nurse practitioner and serves as the director of the Lung Cancer Screening Program and of the program director of the ACT Center at UMMC. And we're going to be talking about lung cancer awareness today. If you want to join our conversation, if you have a question or a comment, email me fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's start with just telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do at UMC, and and why lung cancer is so important to you. So I guess I finished nursing school back in 2014 and started working inpatient at UMC doing um, hematology and oncology. Um, and I think as I was going through school getting my nurse practitioner, uh, if I'm honest, my initial thought was that I wasn't going to continue doing that, was that I'd, <laughs> I'd kind of seen enough of that world. But mm-hmm. as I got closer to making a decision on what I was actually going to do with the rest of my life, I think that um, the cancer calling kept coming back. And mm-hmm. so I was graciously given the opportunity to kind of get a lung cancer screening program growing off the ground at UMC and um, kind of work in the oncology world and, and everything initially. And Um, Back in 2018, that kind of started, and I think kind of am where I am because of uh, the things I saw initially Mm inpatient and and the fact that although they were a little challenging, they leave an impression where the, let's say, the lung cancer space in general is is one where you have the opportunity to make a big difference, not just in in the clinic side of things, but also – personally and having the conversations and it's kind of a, a different experience and I think one that that I've enjoyed um, I think um, the only thing I would add is that you know it it um, seems to pop up in a lot of families and mm-hmm. I think that um, my wife's family in particular and my stepmother's family are no different and I think having first-hand experiences and those things kind of although you don't talk about them a lot they kind of 
push you to work mm-hmm. a little harder and do a little better so that other people don't have those same experiences. So. Absolutely. And it's my sweet papa, uh, who passed many, many years ago, but he passed from lung cancer. And so I'm so grateful that you're coming on with me today to really address this um, because we don't talk about it enough i think you know we we mention you know cancer prevention in multiple different ways but really focusing in on lung cancer should be something that that we do talk about more and november is lung cancer awareness month if you weren't aware um now you know Uh, but you know i have a personal story with it you just said you have a kind of a personal story uh, with those things how common is lung cancer it's quite common um, as far as, let's just say, the kind of get the, the elephant out of the room there. It kills more than breast, prostate, mm-hmm. colon, and, and pancreatic combined. Um, about 130,000 people in the United States die from lung cancer each year. And I think that's not something we say out loud and talk about enough. Mm-hmm. That's that's a significant number, and it's important to remember, which we'll, we'll talk about, mm-hmm. I suppose, is is it is preventable for the mm-hmm. most part, right? Um, of, of course, the, the saying is that anybody with lungs can get lung cancer, yes. but it's it's still predominantly a, um, a case of, of cigarette use for mm-hmm. the most part, right? And mm-hmm. so doing what we can to um, prevent that is, is our goal. Yeah, well, and that's largely what we do on this show is talk about how we can prevent things ever from happening, but if not that how can we catch things early so that treatment can be started as as quickly as possible and hopefully um you know uh, be more successful at treatment reduce side effects all of these different kinds of things so it's a really important uh, topic for us to be talking about and you mentioned that it kills more people um, than all of those other cancers that we tend to think about as as being more prevalent combined and when I was getting ready for this show you know I I was looking up some statistics on lung cancer and one thing that I found very interesting was that lung cancer is the second most common cancer diagnosed in the U.S. outside of skin cancers and so that is when you think about that and the number of people that you've kind of heard about as having lung cancer or any of the cancers, that's a big number, you know, and like you mentioned, largely preventable. Um, And when we say that, we're talking about from a public health perspective, right? Um, right. And not in any way placing blame on anyone that that has um, cancer, but we do talk about risk factor reduction. And that's important when we're looking at cancer in general. And lung cancer is no different there. Um, And that lung cancer accounts for about 25% of the cancer deaths in the U.S., so a quarter of of cancer deaths attributable to lung cancer. I always want to know, well, what about Mississippi? You know, what's going on here in Mississippi? And, you know, when I first started looking at that, you know, it said that we've got a higher than the national rate of new cases of lung cancer, which you can, if you stop there at the picture, you were like, oh, no. Oh, no. You know, but... It's getting better, you know, based on the statistics that were presented. And I know there's a new report coming out, but that it's improved by about 9%. So we're programs like yours are helping to kind of chip away at, at that new lung cancer um, diagnosis. Yeah, I think that the, the big issue with lung cancer has always been the fact that generally early stage disease, you're asymptomatic, right? So you're not showing any signs and symptoms. Um, so if we talk about Mississippi specifically, we can talk about the fact that 
Um, about 26% of lung cancer cases in Mississippi are found in an early disease when the five-year survival is about 65%. However, um, about 44% of lung cancer cases in Mississippi are diagnosed um, in the later stage where mm-hmm. the five-year survival is about 7%. And so obviously there's a significant difference between the five-year survival for early and later stage disease. Um, and lung cancer screening's goal is to flip that, mm-hmm. right? So you, um, national studies show that lung cancer screening um, reduces mortality by between 20 and 30%. So that's our biggest goal is mm-hmm. to use that and really get folks in to, to get them screened and flip that script do a stage shift so so that all of a sudden we're finding them early instead of finding them late yep absolutely all right we do have a caller on the line so i will go and say good morning to roby did i get that correct this morning good morning robbie there we go good morning robbie how are you i'm doing well how can we help you sure Fifteen to eighteen years ago, I got the once in a lifetime pneumonia vaccination. Yes, I'm living in Cusco, Peru, and about a year and a half ago, I went to the Amazon jungle and I came back sick, high fever, wound up in the hospital for seven days with double pneumonia. Mm-hmm. They are offering a pneumonia once in a lifetime shot here from the health department. Mm-hmm. Would it be beneficial, detrimental, or have no effect if I got the shot here? Well, all right, so let's let's unpack that a little bit. So we used to just give the pneumonia shot kind of kind of one time. Now it's actually a two shot um, protocol for pneumonia vaccines. Um, and there are some newer ones on the market as well. They, they change, uh, they've changed over the past couple of years. We used to just give something called, um, uh, Pneumovax 23. Uh, now there are PCV 13s and 15s and, and other that, that just has the number of strains of things in it. Um, so the first question would be, or the first piece of information for you to find would be, what did you have originally? Um, and then what age are you now, Robbie? 66. 66, yeah. So you were probably eligible for a second one. Now, I have no idea what vaccines they have in Peru. So it would be, you know, hard for me to say, yes, this is the one that you should go get. Um, But having a second pneumonia shot would be here in the States, something that we would recommend um, you getting. Um, But, you know, I would start with your primary care if you have one there um, and that can review your shot record and look at what you had previously and see what that shot is that they're offering there for you. Jonathan, you got anything different on that? I think you covered that perfectly. Pardon, Robbie? I don't don't have a record of what what you got before. Just listening to, you know, when you said it was 16 to 18 years ago, I would imagine it was the regular Pneumovax because that's what we were usually giving around that particular time frame. So you probably would qualify for one of the newer um, pneumonia vaccines, um, but I don't know what they're given in uh, where in your in the country that you're in right now. So that would that would be the first question is what is that particular vaccine? And just let your provider know that you did receive um a previous dose about 15 to 20 years ago. Okay, between the 13 and the 15 uh-huh. new shot, 
Mm-hmm. Would you recommend one over the other? Uh, it just depends on which product you've received previously to that. So usually, um, I believe the 15 is the one that we're doing now for folks that have received the 23 in the past. Okay. Okay. All right. right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. All right. That was a very cool and interesting question. All right. So we talked about kind of the the scope of the problem uh, in terms of lung cancer and how prevalent it is, and that screening really is an important kind of tool in the toolbox for that. You know, if we can't prevent it completely, then screening and catching something early has been linked to improved survival, which, again, is a very important uh, important strategy for us to, to take. So on November 11th, there's actually something coming up called National Lung Cancer Screening Day, and UMC is doing something with that, right, in your program. Tell me about it. Yeah, that's right. So last year, um, the American College of Radiology and um, some other organizations came up with this day where on a Saturday, they would encourage facilities to open their doors um, to those who are not able to um, come to clinic and get a lung cancer screening, a low-dose CT done Monday through Friday. So the idea was, you know, again, expand the options, encourage those folks to come in and get screened. Um, you know, I should have said earlier, but, you know, we're screening less than 10% of those mm-hmm. eligible nationally, um, which Mississippi kind of falls into the average range, for better or for worse, for, for um, screening percentages. But um, so that's just one option, trying to remove barriers. Last year we, we did the event as well. This year we're trying to take it a step further and do it for uninsured people, mm-hmm. um, uninsured patients essentially, right? So let's just say in, in Mississippi, those between the ages of 19 and 65, 64, I believe the um, uninsured rate is 16 or 17%, mm-hmm. um, which is significant. So we would love to – um, have our doors open so that folks that are uninsured can come in and have a free lung cancer screening done and not only include those with insurance because lung cancer is a disease that will affect both mm-hmm. equally. Um, so Saturday, November 11th, 8.30 to 3.30, we will have this free screening event and um, we encourage anybody that um, is willing and able to to give us a call. It's 601 984 5864 or 601-984-LUNG. Oh, look at y'all there. That's good. Do option one. It'll go straight to to Erica, the lung cancer screening nurse, and she will screen you for eligibility, give you all the information, give you an appointment time, and um, we'll get you in. That's wonderful. Before we dig into that a little bit more, we do have a caller in Starkville. Say, good morning, Karen. How can I help you? Hi, um, I have a question sure. about the singles vaccine. Okay. Um, I got conflicting answers. Once you get both shots, do you need to get a booster? After the two dose Shingrix shots? Yes. The CDC mm-hmm. actually does not recommend a booster after those two. Okay. Yep, so you that should be good. Yes, you should be good to go. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Mm-hmm. All right. So you mentioned November 11th, 830 to 3:30. You gave us the great num- number 601-984-LUNG, which I love having having a word in there. Um, tell me what that actually looks like though. Like how do we screen for lung cancer? Yes, yeah, so 
lung cancer screening, the initial trials were done, right? The standard of care was always, hey, you know, let's do a chest x-ray, right? right? So the national lung screening trial back in 2011, I believe, is when it was published initially in the New England Journal of Medicine was comparing 55,000 patients or so, um, comparing a chest x-ray and a low-dose CT scan of your chest. What it found was that chest x-rays were completely useless in decreasing (laughs) um, lung cancer mortality. Um, Literally zero lives were saved because of a chest x-ray. However, the lung cancer screening group, 20% mortality reduction uh, from lung cancer, Mm -hmm. 6.7% all-cause mortality reduction. But um, so the the idea was get those in that are ages 50 to 80 now, let's say mm-hmm. 20 pack year smoking history. So a pack a day for 20 years, two packs a day for 10, mm-hmm. half a pack a day for 40, whatever you got to do to make the math right. work, right? Um, currently smoke or formerly smoked and has not quit more than 15 years ago. So it can get a little annoyingly complicated it can. there. And uh, they changed them. So they, they, they were a little bit... Um, more broad well a little bit more restrictive in who could get screening before but they updated it and kind of lowered that pack year history and changed the age a little bit because it used to be 55 to 80 and now it's 50 to 80 and 20 pack year history Uh, and i'm sure that's just in an effort to include more people in that screening to catch people that we're still at very high risk for lung cancer. Yeah, and even the the current guidelines, if you screened everybody in a perfect world that's eligible, you would you would still pick up less than half of the lung cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the exact percentage there is, but I know it's less than half. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say the American Cancer Society recently um, updated their recommendation and removed the 15-year limit on mm, formerly smoking. Okay. So it's just 50 to 80 and 20-pack years or more. Um, so hopefully in the coming year or so that that will be implemented and we'll be able to make it a little less complicated and get a little more. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you screen. if it's been 40 years since you smoked with that screening. OK. That's All right. right. All right. OK. I like it. Um, and the pack year is something that I think confuses people sometimes. And you and you mentioned it, right? 20 pack year is one pack a day for 20 years or two packs a day for 10 years. But you can just Google a calculator. There are pack year calculators. And so you can just put in like how many years you've been smoking and an average of how much you smoke. And it will give you a a pack year history on there. So if you're confused on that, which a lot of people do get confused on it, you just pull that calculator up and it'll kind of give you that um, that calculation there. And we mentioned in, uh, you said less than 10% of people that are high risk, so that would would meet these criteria, are getting um, screened. So it's really important to have that conversation with your healthcare provider about whether you would qualify for a screening procedure. I think over the last decade, well, since 2015, when this was um, initially began being covered by CMS, I think there's been this huge push mm-hmm. to educate providers for the most part, Yep. right? And so I think that after all those years, we kind of will continue to do that, but we're where we kind of are where we are, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it becomes a little, a little complicated with all this. You ask somebody who does 50 things in one visit to all of a sudden do 50 more, yeah. 51 and prioritize that. So I think it's important for those in the in the general 
community and the population to know that this exists, to know that they can bring it up to their health care provider and have these discussions with them and say, hey, you know, I read about lung cancer screening. Is this something that I may qualify for? This is something I'm interested in and, mm-hmm. and have that discussion. Don't purely expect your your um, provider to be the mm-hmm. one to necessarily do that. You know, unfortunately, there's still a good number of providers in the community that still do chest x-rays as mm-hmm. um and i think for for whoever hears this to <laughs> to know that it's it's okay to to point out that uh, to your provider or whatever and say hey you know i read about lung cancer screening you know why are we still doing a chest x-ray right. let's do this and kind of help the education process yeah. in a way right so. and i just built it into my um clinic template so it's it's in there and it reminds me to ask it you know so i try and make it as foolproof for me to remember all the things that i need to be asking and screening for um in a, you know in a wellness visit or a problem focused visit as well there so you mentioned low dose ct scan so like what exactly is that how long does it take are there risks associated with that because usually when people hear the word ct scan they're like oh gosh like something's it's wrong if I have to go get a CT scan. But what is this low-dose CT? So low-dose, at least back then when the study was initially done, was less radiation exposure, mm-hmm. let's say, than a standard CT scan of your chest. Now the gap is so narrow that there's not a significant difference between a low-dose and a, and a routine, at, le- at least at high-functioning. The routine ones have gotten better. <laughs> Correct, at high-functioning <laughs> facilities, yeah. Um, so, I mean – it literally takes about 15 seconds. There's no contrast. So you're not getting mm-hmm. stuck. You're not having to drink anything. Mm-hmm. You lay on the table for about 15 seconds. It's not like an MRI, right. which um, gets confused a lot in my clinic, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to be in there for 45 minutes. With things banging all around you. Correct. It's not that It's not that massive tube. Mm-hmm. It is a tube, but it's open. It's relatively thin, and you're mm-hmm. only in there for about 15 seconds, mm-hmm. and then you're then you're good to go after that. As far as risks go, certainly there's the radiation exposure, which is a little down the list in a mm-hmm. way. Um, the radiation exposure is so low now that you have to get so many CT scans for it to be a to be a risk. It's clinically it's significant, all, yeah. Right. Um, but just for lung cancer screening in general, the, the risk generally or the fact that you're undergoing a CT scan and we may find things, mm-hmm. right? And just because we find things doesn't mean it's – it's a bad a can- something. It doesn't mean it's a cancer. It doesn't mean it's something that's going to kill you tomorrow mm-hmm. or something, right? But that also doesn't mean we're not going to go exploring to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. So there will be um, a tiny percentage of people that have unnecessary procedures and, and things like Just that. Just to work have, up whatever it is you see. Correct, and have bad outcomes. But the um, – yeah, but that's, that's – Well, I think the good point you made there is – that it's super quick because a lot of uh, people will tell me, you know, well, I'm claustrophobic and I don't like being in in the and they are picturing that MRI tube a lot of times, but it's super quick. So less than a minute. It is more open and you don't have to have contrast, whether that is by IV, which a lot of times for certain CT scans or MRIs, we do IV contrast for those, or oral contrast, which is a lot of times what we see with a CT scan because we're trying to look at your belly or your intestines or something like that that needs some oral contrast, which is not delicious um, to, to drink at all. And, you know, those things 
are not part of this. So much quicker, uh, much easier, and with a lot less of the the um, things that we associate with being not so much fun when we go get a CT or an MRI. Um, so the the first thing is if that is keeping you from talking to your healthcare provider about it, I hope that, that soothes your worries a little bit. But if you're like, I'm still going to be anxious, you know, in in this procedure or whatever. Again, talk with your healthcare provider because we just want you to get screened. You know, we'll work with you to try and make you as comfortable as we can so that you get these things done. Because the catching things early um, so that we can begin the appropriate treatment as soon as we can, just like you mentioned, 20% increase in survival rates uh, based on that catching those things early. Um, so, one thing I did also today is I said, well, what if we've got folks that are not like right around here? You know, right around um, the metro area. What if we were a little bit more rural? Are there places that they can get this done? And actually, I found um, a link on the American College of Radiology site that you could put in your zip code. And it would tell you all the places around you that you could get a low-dose CT scan done for uh cancer screening. So I picked my parents' zip codes because they're up in the Delta, and 96 places popped up on that list of things. So uh, don't think you have to be just hanging around in the Jackson Metro area to be able to access um, a, a, a cancer screening um, center. So you can always talk to your healthcare provider about that. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, joined by Jonathan Hansis, and we're talking about lung cancer prevention and awareness today. And before we dive into our next segment, I believe Kevin Farrell has a question for us this morning. So what exactly uh, does the lung cancer screening look like? I mean, how do you how long does it take? What do they do? That sort of thing. Yeah. So from the time you check in at this particular event that we're going to be having on the 11th, how much time should people budget for that? Not long. I mean, we'll, we'll, we're kind of keeping it like a normal clinic day in a way. So you come in, you do your normal check-in process. You have a quick visit with um, one of the providers just to ensure you're eligible, have a discussion about cessation if, if needed, um, get your CT scan, We'll have some snacks, some drinks. We'll look at your CT, give you the results, and then you can get out of there. So. That was the question I was going to have. Results are available at the, the, the on the day of, for the most part? Yeah, so we'll, we'll review the CTs ourselves. They'll be officially read by a radiologist the next week. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, yeah, no, it, it shouldn't take long. Welcome to hang out and make it, make it a long time if you want <laughs> Especially to. Especially because there's uh, beverages and snacks. <laughs> you know, if you have snacks, right. people will come to those things. Right. You know, and that's a very similar model to, like, C-Test and Treat, mm-hmm. which um, we do for cervical and, and breast cancer. Come in, get screened, get your results, get to talk with a provider about ways to reduce risk and all of those different kinds of things there, um, which is really important. And so you said time in the scanner, less than a minute, um, and – then whatever follow-up is needed after right. that. And it is a it is an annual thing, mm, right? That's another so good point. It's extremely important, which I didn't mention earlier, that um, to come back every year, not having, a, not having a suspicious finding one year doesn't mean you won't have one doesn't the make next you, or the next or the next. Doesn't right? get you off the hook for further screenings. Yeah, part of why the trial had such good results was the rate of adherence was about 90%. Wow. And that's not something you're necessarily seeing in the community mm-hmm. yet, so something we really need to, to work on to stress to providers and patients to come back and continue mm-hmm. doing it. So. Mm-hmm. Every year. All right, so... We already talked about how you can schedule, um, and it was 601-984-LUNG if you would like to talk with someone to see if you qualify. And 
I would encourage you just to, to do that. You know, if you're on the fence, you're like, I don't know if I would meet the qualifications for that. Just call and you'll talk to Erica is what you said. Erica, That's the right. lovely um, cancer screening nurse that will go through, I'm sure, ask you um, some questions to, to uh, check for eligibility. Now, you mentioned that, you know, we're, you're trying to capture more people who are uninsured. But is this event also for people who have insurance or no? The event, no, but we okay. do offer. Gotcha. We do offer screening for um, those with insurance, essentially mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. Really, right now, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. Um, I will say, you know, for those insured, it's it's covered by pretty much everybody. You know, oh, nice. Medicare, Medicaid, private insurers. So it's not subject to copay, deductible, any of that kind of stuff. So you shouldn't have to pay anything out of pocket. Excellent. Um, for most, for the CT scan, you may have a small charge depending on how your provider bills for any associated clinic visit right the actual ct itself shouldn't be some sort of anything that's wonderful trying to cut down barriers and i love that this event is on a saturday because i mean i work all the time you know and trying to take off work for when you're not sick right and go get a screening test done can be super difficult especially if you've got but you got kids and you know all these right. other kinds of things you're trying to coordinate so having it on a saturday i really think is is pretty brilliant and cutting down on that that barrier of trying to take off work or you know figure out who's going to pick up the kids from school or whatever sure. it is there so that's a, a really cool um thing that you guys are doing there so you mentioned you know if you can't make it on the 11th um it, they're offered other times during the week you know you just got to kind of call and and try and talk with your healthcare provider about it or call the um the cancer institute and talk about getting um a, a ct scan i would like to spend the next little bit of time talking about truly preventing it from ever happening right um which may not be possible but any amount of reduced cigarette smoking is going to be beneficial for overall health right right yeah Absolutely. I think that, um, let's say in the cessation world, the most important thing to do is to ask the question mm-hmm. if you're a healthcare provider, yeah. right? So every patient, every visit, ask them, you know, do you use tobacco products? Mm-hmm. Do you smoke? Yada, 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 and get an accurate history on that. I think it's very, very common for patients to kind of downplay their smoking history mm-hmm. um, for a number of different reasons. A lot of those reasons have to do with the fact that some feel ashamed in a mm-hmm. way that um, are judged that, that they're someone that smokes. And I think that um, by not making patients feel that way, we can go a long way in getting honest mm-hmm. answers about smoking history um, and advising them to quit and, and with a clear, strong message. Um, but arranging follow-up and actually treating them is the, the yep. key there. So. Yeah keeping a list of resources you know if if you are not super comfortable doing you know full-on smoking cessation treatment with someone having a list of community resources that you can provide someone you know that's the most important thing ask and then have something to offer you know when people say that they're thinking about wanting to quit or have tried to quit and it didn't go as well as they they thought it would you know have those resources available that could be you know the 1-800-QUIT-NOW you know, number that you can give folks or, you know, if you're here in Mississippi, the ACT Center is a wonderful resource for folks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that the ACT Center is, a uh, is, uh, in a, in a way, uh, a hidden gem. Yeah, let's absolutely. just say, I think that there are a number of different options. I don't 
you know, bias aside, I don't necessarily have a, a strong <laughs> preference, let's just say. Um, I think that the important thing is asking the question and, and actually trying to get patients to um, arrange follow-up mm-hmm. and get help with quitting. I think that the self-quit rate is about 3 to 5% um, long-term, which is which is not good, yeah. right? Um, when you use the ACT Center, ours is in the 30 to 40% range, and that's because we um, help patients quit, right? We have tobacco treatment specialists. They're all licensed practice. Uh, they're all counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, they previously did counseling outside of the tobacco world. So, you know, people smoke for a whole slew of different yeah. reasons. Um, and so this is an opportunity to sort of sometimes get help a little more mm-hmm. with with um, kind of the the deep reasons for why they may still mm-hmm. smoke. And then they arrange follow-up, mm-hmm. right? So it's not a, hey, here's patches, gum, lozenges, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. Let me know how it went in a year when I see you yeah. then. This is come back in a week and we'll talk yeah. about it and we'll we'll work with you now to address whatever barriers yeah. you have what so. went well what you struggled with all of those different things it's very similar to you know how we approach nutrition changes in lifestyle medicine it's it can't be a here you go here's a here's a handout i'll see you in a year i hope you're eating some more fruits and vegetables at that point it really is a, a partnership that you kind of have to to walk through and identifying those barriers and helping to build a plan to address those because every single person that i've ever worked with that is using a tobacco product while there are commonalities they're different you know and it may be this person does it out of just habit after every meal they pick up a cigarette it may be that they're using it as a stress uh, reduction strategy and from a lifestyle perspective i would not be doing my job well if i just took your cigarettes away right like if if that's your coping strategy for uh, severe anxiety and stress management and i just said all right well let's get you off of cigarettes and i don't address your anxiety and your stress you're just going to pick up an, some other maladaptive coping strategy, whatever that may be, whether it's alcohol or food or you know any of these different kinds of things there. So really getting at the root of why people are choosing the things that they're choosing is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also important to highlight that you know the Act Center's resources are free. It's, mm-hmm. it's not something that you have to pay for. Three months free nicotine replacement therapy. We do prescription medication, whether that's Chantix, Wellbutrin, or or other, uh, obviously, don't charge for the visits. It's it, it's all come completely yeah. free. We do we offer telehealth services for those that aren't able to come in person. Um, so a whole slew of different things, and and even if you are someone that that's interested in let's say treating um, tobacco use, but you're you know you'd, you'd rather do it yourself, the Act Center offers two tobacco treatment specialist training programs per year. It's free to anyone in Mississippi that would like to go through the course. Um, Three-and-a-half-day course, you get really a deep dive on um, tobacco treatment, the counseling, the conversations, how, how to do all of those different mm-hmm. things so that, you know, we're not looking just to keep everything at the medical mall, right? Yeah. We're, we're looking for, for those out in the community to – um, to help. Yeah. And well, and then the you've got that shared lived experience that you can share with someone that, yes, it's hard. 
but I did it. Let me help you along yeah. that way as well. And you mentioned the Act Center is at the Jackson Medical Mall, uh, but there are telehealth services. And I have patients that have utilized the telehealth services. That's one um, kind of silver lining from the pandemic is we learned about all kinds of things that we can do over technology and able to reach folks who may not be able to drive down to us, you know, every week for, for different kinds of things that way. We've been talking about lung cancer awareness today and smoking cessation is one of the number one strategies for helping to reduce your risk for developing lung cancer. And we talked a little bit before the break about the ACT Center, which is a free service um, at UMC at the Medical Mall that helps with counseling, medications, all of those different things to help you um, stop smoking. And nicotine replacement is a big category of medications or, or or techniques that we can use to help with smoking cessation. And I think a lot of times people get confused because we're saying, hey, smoking's bad for you, but here, have some have some nicotine in some other ways. Why is that a, a strategy for helping people stop smoking? Well, it's a way to kind of control the titration, right? So if you say, hey, use a 20 mil, 21 milligram patch, 14, 7, use lozenges, gum, whatever that is, you can kind of control the situation in a way which you can't necessarily do with cigarettes right so you you get the nicotine in a different way than you would get by using the cigarette there's obviously not the same carcinogens through right. nicotine patches there is in a cigarette right um so it's a it's a it's a good way to titrate it down to say hey get the nicotine replacement this way instead of through the cigarette and um, that can help reduce the number that you smoke, the number you crave, and until we get to zero. Mm-hmm. So. And is that important? Do you need to be like completely off of cigarettes to start nicotine replacement therapy? No, no, absolutely not. You, you can, you can do both. But carefully. Um, yes, there. That's why conversations are important mm-hmm. with um, whoever's helping you in a way or following the directions. Um, We strongly encourage setting a quit date right Mm -hmm. after you start nicotine replacement therapy or whatever that intervention is so that you aren't just using it for forever um, or doing both for forever. All right. So set the quit date and um, put them down, keep using the therapy and and keep uh, keep speaking with somebody about. Yeah. Where to go from there. Yeah. And, you know, the more common varieties that you see are the patches, the gums, the lozenges. Do you have a favorite out of those? I think a lot of it comes down to personal mm-hmm. preference as far as, you know, what, what do you what do you do for a living? How active are you? Um, most patients use a combination of, let's say, patches and then either gum or lozenges, right? So the patch, you wear the patch 24 hours. But for some that are really active, it can kind of slough off. Mm-hmm. And, you and sweat a lot, that kind of stuff. Different things like that. So you kind of use that kind of as the, the big picture, but then you supplement um, breakthrough cravings and things like that with gum or lozenges. You know, I, the gum, it's a, it's, a, it's a great way to supplement. It's not something you need to just throw in your mouth every, every couple minutes mm-hmm. for the whole day. But it's when you get a breakthrough craving that the patch isn't helping with, then you can throw that in there. I think there's a common misconception yeah. that, um, which I guess calling it gum kind of gives you that, yeah. that you're supposed to just chew it. Yeah, it's not bubblicious. It is uh, not. It's not how we do it. Nope. You, you take a chew and you park it and you just stick it between your, let's say, your, your cheek and your gum and you leave it there. The lozenger, you, you park it as well. So for anybody listening that 
that likes to to use it like actual gum. Mm-hmm. One, you're probably going to wind up with some jaw pain if you're using it frequently and chewing it like regular gum. Um, but it really is important to because you're trying to break it open essentially and then park it in in the tissue in your cheek between your cheek and your gum so that your body absorbs that nicotine through there and it usually has a little like a little tingle effect to it and that's how you know that it that you got it working the right way and you know that's important because we want you to use it correctly to increase your likelihood of of a successful quit attempt right Um, because it can be really a downer to your confidence you know if you feel like you've failed something you know and and i would encourage you not to use the word fail we just got to figure out a different plan yeah most have tried to quit and been mm-hmm. unsuccessful more than a dozen times mm-hmm. so don't let that be something that discourages you a large portion of those are people that don't get help mm-hmm. you know and even if you try to get help and you're not successful that first second third fourth time just just keep trying, keep trying. that's what we ask uh, but there slew of different options even outside of nicotine replacement mm-hmm. therapy right so most commonly chantix and wellbutrin um chantix is particularly helpful i think back a decade ago it kind of initially had a little bit of a a bad reputation mm-hmm. let's just say because there were some questions but then there was a major trial done years later that showed that chantix actually does not increases increase your odds of suicidal ideations mm-hmm. and and different things like that um so that block blah, blah, that black box warning mm-hmm. was removed yep and um so i mean it was it was the same as nicotine replacement therapy or using nothing at all mm-hmm. um so i would encourage people to that see kind of the reputation there as a barrier that that the the major trial showed that that, that doesn't actually exist mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but we offer prescriptions such as Chantix and Wellbutrin mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So. And there are a menu of options is how I like to present it. So if one doesn't work for you, let's not just not do anything, right? There are other options that we can try there. And there are combinations of things like you mentioned. Like you can try the patch and gum or patch and lozenges, that kind of thing. But being really open and honest with your healthcare provider about what you will and will not try. Um, I had a patient just the other day that um, someone prescribed the patch and I asked how it was going and he was like, I ain't putting that thing on me. And so, you know, he had no intention of, of putting a patch on. So, it surely is not going to work if we don't use it. So we switched and we're doing gum because that's what he felt most comfortable in being able to do with counseling. Right. I was like, okay, we're going to need, we need some help too. We don't need counseling and something. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Doesn't mean you're crazy. Doesn't mean any of those different kinds of things. It just means this is hard and you don't have to do it alone. There are people who are trained and ready to help you at every step of the way in working on tobacco cessation. All right. In just the last minute of the show, let's review um, the upcoming event, where it is, how you get scheduled, um, and what you could kind of expect. Yeah. So it'll be this Saturday, November the 11th, 830 to 330. Um, if 50 to 80 years old, if you are a current or former cigarette user, let's just say just Call 601-984-LUNG, 601-984-5864, push option one, and we'll do the screening for you so it doesn't get uh, complicated Mm -hmm. as far as calculating pack year history and the specifics. Just let us do it. 
Um, we get you in on Saturday, get you out, let you know your results. And um, it is free and it is for, for predominantly the uninsured. However, mm-hmm. if you have insurance and would like to come on a different day, then um, still call and, and we'll get you in then. So. Yeah, it's a wonderful service, and thank you for coming on today and talking all about those things. And if you want more information about this upcoming event or about the ACT Center in general, you can always send me an email, fit at mpbonline.org, and I'm happy to get you that information and get you um, set up with Jonathan's team um, to, to get the help that you need and the support that you need and deserve. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, which is a production of of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. I've been your host, Josie Bidwell, joined today by Jonathan Hansis. We are produced by the wonderful Kevin Farrell. Make sure you tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.